animal series, John 21. John 21, 15. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. job of a shepherd is to care for or to maintain the well-being of the sheep, care for the welfare of the sheep. I said this last week. I'll say it again. If this is your first time, don't run away. Uh, I will not be dressed like this again. But if you're not used to the factory, you will get used to our pastor, Pastor Keith, uh, wearing whatever he wants to wear. So I figure for two weeks, just two weeks, don't get used to it, but just for two weeks, I'll wear what I want to wear. Okay. All right, let's pray. Lord, you are the good shepherd. You watch over us. You protect us even when we don't protect ourselves. Even when we're reckless and even when we run from you, you run to us. So, Lord, my request is simple. I ask that you sit me down, that you might stand up. I ask that you speak clearly through me to your people. Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth, everything that's said is from you. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you begin to move throughout the room to fill the hearts of your people. And I trust that you're doing that. Help us to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't really have the courage to preach with my toes out. 
I'll leave that to Pastor Keith. Um, so I decided to go with the high-end shepherd look. Okay, it's more like chic shepherd. Okay. Um, so in this last chapter of John, John chapter twenty-one, Jesus appears to the disciples. Now, this is now Jesus' third and final time appearing to the disciples after he's died and resurrected. What we need to know going into this chapter, going into this passage, is that Peter and the disciples decided to go fishing. So as they went fishing, they fished all night. This is what they did for a living. We talked about it last week. They fished all night and they caught nothing. Now, it might sound the same, but this is not actually the same story we talked about last week. The story from last week was at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Last week, Jesus had started to preach for the first time. And he performed a miracle for the disciples to show them that he was the Messiah. Since then, they've seen him do countless miracles. They've been with him in the good times and the bad. And they've seen him die. They've seen their friend who loved them, who walked with them who died an innocent death. They saw it up close. They saw what he went through. They saw that he was not guilty, but he died anyway. And he told them he would do it. Their friend is gone. Their savior is no longer here. At least that's what they think. As Peter and the disciples were fishing. They saw a man off in the distance. He was so far away that they couldn't recognize who he was. But this man yelled out to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And so they did. They threw their nets over. Once again, out of the boat, after catching nothing. All night they've been fishing and they've caught nothing. And all of a sudden, they have caught so many fish that they, again, can't pull the net onto the boat. The Bible tells us that there were exactly 153 fish in the net. I don't know why the Bible does that, but I love that the Bible does. The reason why is because it tells me somebody was really there. Somebody really experienced this. 153 fish were in this net. And then one of the disciples, John, started thinking, somebody else did this. For us before. This has happened before. That's Jesus. 
That's the Messiah. And the Bible tells us that the moment John identifies Jesus, Peter jumps in the water and begins to swim after him. So even though Peter was a professional fisherman, we talked about it last week, even though he was a professional fisherman, his success was not enabled by himself. His success was enabled by God. See, I know you might have two or three degrees, plaques on the wall, but your success is not powered by plaques. Your success is powered by the provider. Jehovah Jireh is the provider. And the disciples understood this, so Peter is swimming after Jesus. Pursuing him. But what's interesting about this is that Jesus, Jesus provided them something that they couldn't get on their own. And John, as he remembers that who that is, he, he, he calls out, that's Jesus, and, and Peter begins to pursue him. And as Peter pursues him, what we need to know, the significance of this moment, is that the last time Peter saw Jesus alive, he denied him. Not once, not twice, but three times. It was a complete denial. The man who he walked with, the man who saved him, when Peter's life was in danger, he chose to protect himself. He chose to disassociate with the Savior. He deserted Jesus. He abandoned him. But Peter was the very same disciple who bragged about how loyal he was to Jesus. He would say things like, Lord, I love you more than all these disciples. Lord, if you die, I'm dying too. He said, I'm literally your ride or die. And all of that sounded good. All of that sounded fine until a little girl came up to Peter and said, weren't you with that man who was just arrested? You're one of the disciples. Peter said, no, I don't know Jesus. I don't know this man. Then two more times, people came up to him suspecting he was a disciple. Weren't you there? Weren't you the one who sliced the ear off of the soldier who was arresting Jesus? No, that wasn't me. I don't know who Jesus is. But there's a little known fact about this story. See, the Bible tells us that in Luke, in Luke chapter 22, after Peter denied Jesus, he went away and he wept bitterly. 
in shame, drowning in his guilt. And to make matters worse, his Savior died. He's left with regret. But one thing we may not know is that after Jesus was put in the tomb and Peter and John saw that the tomb was empty, Luke 24 verse 34 tells us that Jesus actually appeared to Peter privately. He appeared to Peter privately after he had risen from the dead, and we don't have the details of this discussion. The Bible doesn't tell us what was said. But I think it's safe to assume that Jesus forgave Peter. So when John tells him that the man standing at the shore is Jesus, Peter literally can't wait to see him. Why? Because he's been forgiven. He sees the man who forgave him even though he betrayed him. When Jesus needed him the most, Peter abandoned him. But Peter had experienced the love of God in a real way. He'd experienced the unconditional love and grace of God that God has forgiven me. Even when I've struggled to forgive myself. What we can see from this is that when you when you really understand the gospel, when you really understand the beauty of God's grace, you actually run to repentance and not away from it. So when Peter and the disciples reach the shore, they begin to have breakfast with Jesus. Peter's pursuing him and he gets to the shore and Jesus invites them to eat. And that's where we find ourselves in our passage today. In verse 15, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Not Peter, how could you betray me? You told me you love me and then you left. Where were you, Peter? No, God's not like us. See, Jesus isn't so much concerned with how you used to feel about him. He wants to know, what do you believe right now? Where's your heart at right here today? Peter was stuck in the past, struggling to forgive himself, but Jesus Wanted to know, where are you right now? So he says, do you still love me more than all these other disciples? Remember when you told me that, Peter? Remember when you said you love me more than anybody? You still stand in that same place? You still believe that? When I was reading this, I thought to myself, dang, Jesus, you... Why you got to throw his mistakes in his face? Why you got to throw it back in his face? He's already drowning in his own shame. But it might, it might seem like Jesus was putting Peter down. It might seem like Jesus was reminding him of his mistakes, but he was actually testing him. 
He was testing Peter. See, before Peter denied Jesus, his confidence came from himself. Jesus, I love you the most. I'm the most loyal. I'm the best disciple. Jesus, I've been in church for 30 years. I'm the best Christian I know. Nobody reads more than me, Jesus. Jesus, look at everything I've done for you. Look at how long I've served you, Jesus. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's a bad thing when you're more convinced of your love for God than you are of his love for you. Peter knew he loved Jesus. What he wasn't so sure about is how much Jesus loved him. So God is saying, no, 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 no. Don't get it twisted. You love me because I first loved you. I initiate. It's not the other way around. So write this down. Self-sufficiency always leads to separation from God. Self-sufficiency. Jesus is testing him. See, Peter was relying on himself. He was confident in his own faithfulness. Not realizing he was actually separating himself from the Savior. So what Jesus is really saying in verse 15 is, Peter, are you still relying on your own ability? Or have you been humbled? Has that experience showed you what it needed to show you? That the only reason you can be faithful to me is because I've been faithful to you. So Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you. What's interesting is that when Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you still love me? He uses the Greek word agapao, which refers to a self-sacrificial love. Unconditional love. But Peter's response when he says, Lord, you know, I love you. He uses Peter in his response. He uses the word phileo, which is brotherly love. See, Peter doesn't get it. Lord, you know, I love you. I love you like a friend. I love you like a brother. Jesus is saying, but will you give yourself up for me? A self-sacrificial love. You got to imagine the pain that Peter's feeling as his betrayal of Jesus is flashing through his mind.
So I was studying this, this passage. Got to be honest with you, I was having flashbacks of the times I betrayed Jesus. The times I walked out on him. It's almost like I could feel what Peter was feeling. God, please don't make me look at this shame. Please don't make me face it. You know I love you. This man who once bragged about loving Jesus more than anybody else is now starting to understand something. The only reason I'm able to love him is because of his love for me. I made it about myself. But the good news is this. Jesus doesn't throw him away. Jesus responds to him, so feed my lambs. Feed my lambs, Peter. Then again in verse 16, Jesus asks him for the second time, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Again, he uses the word agapao, a self-sacrificial love. Will you give yourself for me, Peter? It's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, um, you can believe you love me. That's good. That's, that's, that's fine. But are you willing to give something up for me? When you got to choose between yourself and me, will you give up yourself? Would you give up your life trusting that I'm worth it? Oh, yeah, Lord, I'm so consistent. I'm good for it. Look at what I've done for you, Lord. You know I love you. Lord, I never flaked out on you. God is like, okay. Sounds good. So give me control of your money. Give me total control of the way you vote at the ballot box. Give me control of your sexuality. That's when we see if we really love him. If we really know him. He's asking for total control. Said this last week. I feel like it's worth saying again. He already has control anyway. In other words, what he's asking you is step out of deception. Stop believing that it's up to you. You don't trust me because you think you can do better. What one of the things Satan does to confuse us is sometimes we think because we don't trust in God, we think it's okay to fill that void with trust in ourselves or trust in other people. Because at face value, not all, not all of it seems so bad. 
it doesn't seem so bad to kind of subconsciously re- replace God with your spouse. I mean, God, this is the spouse you gave me. But Satan is trying to trick you. He's trying to deceive you into thinking that it's okay to replace God with something good. It's a good thing. Marriage is good. God, you created marriage. So what he does is he distorts our understanding of what God created and causes us to idolize things that we think are good but are actually replacing Jesus. In other words, let me say it a different way. Nobody, nobody else or nothing else deserves God's place. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your job. I know your job provides for your kids. I know you love your kids, but your kids don't replace the Savior. Maybe you got to stop worshiping your kids. Maybe you got to stop worshiping your spouse. Maybe you got to stop worshiping your job. Maybe you got to stop worshiping your accomplishments. Those things don't replace him. He says, if you really love me, give all that to me. Then again, for the third time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, in verse 17, do you love me? This time it says Peter felt hurt. Why? Because Jesus said it to him a third time. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What's interesting about this time that Jesus asked him, do you love me? This time, Jesus switches up the game. The word he uses for love is the same word Peter's been using for love, phileo. Jesus says, you know what, Peter, I'm going to meet you where you are. Maybe Peter has been humbled. Maybe Peter is a little bit less confident in himself. A little bit less sure of his love for God and more sure of God's love for him. So God says, do you love me like a brother? Are we friends? And this breaks Peter's heart. Why? Because the third time reminds him even more of the third time he denied him. The third time. Possibly because Peter was feeling the weight of his sin confronting him all over again. Shame. Guilt. Three times he denied him and three times Jesus asked, do you love me? Peter's crushed. But check this out. Jesus ain't asking Peter, does he love him so Jesus knows where Peter stands? Jesus is saying, Peter, this ain't for me. 
this is for you. See, Peter, you've disqualified yourself from ministry. You've messed up. You've been humbled. You don't think the calling I have for you is the same. Why? Because, Peter, your view of yourself is blocking your view of me. Peter, you're too big. That's what he's saying to us. Some of us are too big in our own eyes. We feel the shame. We feel the guilt of our own mistakes. By the way, it's interesting that Peter was making mistakes. He made more than, than just the mistake of denying Jesus. He made a lot of mistakes. But those mistakes didn't humble him. So what Jesus allowed him to see, he said, you know what, Peter? The thing that you're most confident in about yourself, I'm going to allow you to fail in that area. Yeah. The thing you feel most comfortable with about yourself. These other things aren't showing you what they need to show you, so I'm going to allow you to fail in the area that you think you're strongest in. Your best attribute. You still fall short. That's why Peter was so crushed. This is the best thing he had. I love you more than all of them. I'm faithful. Nobody can do it like I can do it, Jesus. They can't serve you like I can. They can't preach like I can. So Jesus allows him to fall flat on his face. He has to wrestle with the shame and the guilt of knowing the thing I used to tell everybody about. You know when you first got saved? You remember that? When you first came to Jesus and you couldn't stop talking about him? You were telling everybody, you were posting on Facebook, y'all need to quit sinning. You need to learn, you need to, you need to meet the Savior, because I know him. Do you know him? I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Confident in your own ability. Confident in your love for him. Missing his love for you. Good news we see in this passage is that Jesus is still giving Peter an assignment. Even after Peter has disqualified himself, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I mean, I, I put it on Facebook. I put it on Instagram. I put it everywhere. Everybody knew. Now they see me slipping up. They heard about what I did, and I was the main one saying that they should follow, and I'm not following Maybe, maybe I need to take that back. Maybe I should step away. Maybe I messed up a little bit too much. I put, I put myself out there. I showed everybody I was a Christian, and then I showed them that I don't act like one.
the fact that Jesus still gives him an assignment, it tells me something. He says, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, tend to my sheep. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I know you feel the shame. I know you feel the guilt. I know you understand the weight of your brokenness. Now you see it. That area you thought you were strong in, now you see. The thing you thought you could do on your own, the thing you, didn't, the thing you thought you didn't need me for, now you see you can't do that. So you're crushed. Crushed. You're broken. Why? Because you were more convinced of your love for him than his love for you. Your confidence was in yourself. You fooled yourself into thinking that you were doing something for God, that you were doing God a favor. Lord, I memorized two verses. I'm on my way. But the fact that Jesus still has an assignment, it's almost like Jesus is saying to Peter, I know you feel the shame. I know you feel the guilt. But when you're with me, the shame has a purpose. I can use the shame. I can use the guilt. See, when all you see is you, all you see is shame. This is this is a, a side note, but sometimes we look at God's law, the Ten Commandments. And all we see is what we can't do. The law confronts us with our inadequacies. Don't lie. You mean don't lie like ever? See, this is why we come up with terms like white lie. I mean, I didn't quite all the way lie. It was a white lie. So I don't know if that counts. It does. It does. You mean never covet what my neighbor has? Never? Not just one time? If we're honest, we failed. Not just once, just like Peter, not just once, not just twice. We've lost count. We failed. But what God wants you to see is that the law is designed to show you your brokenness. That's why it's there. But that's why you can't stay there. That's why you can't make everything about following the law. Because in your pursuit of following the law, there's only two options. Either you admit that you can't follow it, or you deceive yourself into thinking you can. There's only two options. So what will you choose? Peter chose wrong. He chose to deceive himself. He couldn't see his brokenness. But the reason we need the law, the reason the law is beautiful is because it's not just designed to show you your brokenness. It's designed to show you a need. A need for a savior. 
So don't stay in the law. When you see the brokenness, when you see the shame, when you see that you don't measure up, you run to the Savior. That's what you do. By the way, oftentimes when we deceive ourselves into thinking that we can follow the law, that we're all good. Somehow, some way, that's always accompanied by comparing ourselves to other people. I'm doing better than them. I might have told a white lie, but they told a they told a, a whole lie. They telling big lies. I'm telling little lies. You deceived yourself. Jesus is saying the mission hasn't changed. The purpose I have for you is still the same, Peter. Feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. Peter, bring me your shame so I can show you your purpose. The guilt, Peter, is designed to show you. It's designed to lead you to the one who can free you from it. Maybe you needed to experience that shame, Peter. Maybe, maybe that shame can bring you to the end of you. To the end of all that faith you have in yourself. I got one point for you. Let's put it on the screen. Write this down. A disciple must reject self-sufficiency and embrace God's grace to live out their purpose. You must reject self-sufficiency and embrace God's grace to live out your purpose. You can't find eternal comfort in your own ability. So, to put it bluntly, stop running from God. You fall short. You should just say that out loud sometimes. I fall short. I don't, I don't meet the standard. I miss the mark. Maybe the more you say that, you can be grounded in reality and not spinning in the cycle of de deception, slipping into thinking that you are doing something for yourself, that, that, that maybe your love for God is, is good enough. When the reality is Jesus says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Don't bring me your righteousness. Let me give you mine. Why? Because everything you've been looking for is found in him. There's some mistakes you've made that only you and him know about, so bring them to him. There's some things you've done that, that Jesus, only you and Jesus know about. Bring it to him. Maybe you're like Peter and you need to allow God's grace to wash over you. Lord, I've been pretending like I'm not as messed up as I am. I've deceived myself into thinking that I earned my way. 
And my salvation has something to do with me. I know y'all have heard it from me before. This is my story. This is my story. When I was in college, actually, when I graduated high school, I stood in front of my home church and I surrendered my life to, to ministry. They all came up to me. We're not surprised by this. We saw this coming. I felt good. Y'all, you know, I, I grew up in a Baptist church. You get in line and you shake hands, shake hands all the way down. This is not, factory's non-denominational, so we, we go on and leave. We, we wave at you from the door. <laughs> nice to see you. But when I surrendered my life to ministry, I was a little too proud of myself. And when I went to college, started getting all these opportunities to preach as a freshman in, in college. And I felt good about it. As a matter of fact, I was saying yes to every opportunity. Why? Because I was greedy for attention. Greedy for praise. I didn't know what ministry was about. So I took all these opportunities. And at the same time I was taking these opportunities, started to fail my classes. Because my focus was on me. Not on the God who I was supposed to be serving. And so as I started to fail, I also was living two different lives. Ready and ready to jump at the next opportunity to stand in front of somebody and, and say something good and have them come up to me and say, oh, that was so good. But can I tell you, the comfort I was seeking only lasted a little while. Because sooner or later, I was confronted with my sin. I was confronted with my brokenness. And it crushed me. Just like it crushed Peter. The Lord was showing me, Eric, you've not just sinned against me one time. You didn't just sin against me two times. You didn't just sin against me three times. You can't count how many times you sinned against me. Doing things in my name, but sinning against me. Deceiving yourself into thinking that your love for me was earning your way. So he brought me to a place where I was low. And to be honest, I sat in that place for a while. I sat in that shame. I sat in that guilt. But as I was down low, as I was being humbled, as I was down on myself, God was showing me that he was bringing me to the end of me. See, somewhere you have to 
stop being the focus. When you become a follower of Jesus, if you're going to follow him, he needs to be clearer. You need to be able to see him clearer than you see yourself. If all you can see is you, then you're going to lead you wherever you want to go. And it's Satan's playground. He begins to talk to you. Do you really need to follow God? I mean, you're already saved. Why you got to follow him? What you got to do all this stuff for? It's almost like he knows if I can knock you off your mission, if I can knock you off your purpose, then I can stop the spread of this gospel. I can keep others from believing in you. This is why you should pray for your pastors. You should pray for, for ministers because we're right in the middle, right in the thick of this spiritual warfare. Satan is coming for us. He's coming for all of us. Every day, he's not stopping. He's not taking a break. Constantly deceiving. So Jesus says, this is why your focus needs to be on me because my mission is the same for you. See, a lot of times we get so caught up in what's my purpose? Oh, Lord, just help me see what I'm supposed to do. Lord, should I go left or should I go right? Lord, what if I go this way and it doesn't work and then I go that way and that doesn't work? What should I do, Lord? What's my purpose? Let's just be clear. The purpose, the general purpose of every disciple is to love God by loving his people. Okay. So if there's like any confusion you have about what you should be doing, start with that one. I promise you'll figure some things out. He'll, 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 he'll bring some things to you as you serve. That's why the first thing he says to Peter is, okay, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. Take care of my people. Protect my people. Grow with my people. Lead my people. Love my people. Because in doing so, you're loving me. If you love me, serve my people. But then in verse 18, it doesn't just stop there. He says, very truly, Peter, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll be you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this. I love the Bible. Here's your answer. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. In other words, what Jesus is saying in verse 18 is. Peter, you're going to suffer. If you follow me, you're going to suffer. And what he was specifically saying to Peter is actually, Peter, you're going to die the same death I died. They're going to stretch your hands out. They're going to stretch your arms out. They're going to nail your hands. They're going to nail your feet. 
this is why we'll have no excuse when we stand before God. And he asks us what we've done for him. Because he's telling you what's going to happen. He's saying, I didn't lie to you. I didn't tell you that your life was going to be good. I didn't tell you that you were going to be happy all the time. Oh, you weren't reading my words, so you let a TV pastor tell you. Oh. You didn't see where I said that, and you, so you couldn't tell that he was lying to you. You've been deceived. He says, you're going to suffer just like I did. You're going to die the same death I did. But then he says, but follow me anyway. In other words, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, this life, it's about giving up yourself. Following after me, you can't carry you and me and follow me. Something has to go. All the things you want to pursue have to be let go in pursuit of me. I said it last week. I'll say it again. This is why he says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Everything you've been looking for, you don't have to get it on your own. Because guess what? You can't. You can try. It's only temporary. Anybody in this life who looks like they have what we want to have, one day they're going to run out of whatever they got. All of this has an expiration date. One day we won't be here. And not just us, but this world. Scripture says this world is passing away. So God is saying, will you drop what's temporary so I can give you what's eternal? Will you let go of this stuff that's only keeping you from me? Peter, this is the kind of life you're going to have to live to follow me. You're going to have to give yourself up. I don't want there to be any confusion about what Jesus means when he says, give yourself up. I want to be very clear. When he's saying, give yourself up, he's saying, let go of you. Of your own ability to keep yourself. I want to speak especially, real quick, especially to the men in the room. Because we get so concerned about being strong. God is saying. You can be as strong as you want to be. You can convince yourself of anything. You can believe that you can do whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day. Protection comes from me. So what, what does that mean to us men? Men in particular, it means that we need to have somewhere to fall apart. 
We need to have somewhere to say, I'm weak. Somewhere to say, I don't got it. I can't figure it out this time. Lord, sometimes I fall short. Sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I don't have the answers. And as we take that brokenness to him, it's only then that we'll see that it's his grace that's been carrying me this whole time. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me all of that time I thought it was about me? You were keeping me that whole time? You just let, you, I, I, was just, I was just walking thinking that I had it all good, that nothing was going to happen, that I had it all together, that if anything came my way, I could figure it out. I could throw some money at it. I could throw some of my resources at it. Simple problem? No problem. I'm here to fix it. Let me think of a way. Let me, let me come up with a way I can make this happen. And every time you devise plans to save yourself, you devise plans to repair something, to fix something, every time you convince yourself that you're doing something apart from God, you get more and more acquainted with Satan. You start to think more and more like him. You start to convince yourself, I don't need him. Maybe this is why so many of, Lord help me. I'm going to say this. This is why so many of us have wives who come to church all the time. And we feel like we can sit at home. Because we don't need God the way she needs God. See, she's emotional. She's, she's weak. She's the weaker vessel. So she needs God, but I don't. We've convinced ourselves that we can do it, just like Peter. And God is saying, if you, if you give me that shame, because that's what it really is, All of this toxic masculinity is hiding insecurities. It's hiding shame. It's hiding guilt. It's hiding that little boy in you that knows that you're vulnerable, that you're weak, that you're not capable on your own. But now I'm speaking to everybody. What I need you to know is there's a place for you to take that weakness. There's a place for you to take your shame. There's a place for you. There's a safe space where you can lay it down and say, I don't have it, but you do. So help me to follow you. Help me to serve you because you got it, God. I don't got it. And the more you give it to him, you more, the more you realize, I don't even want to have it. I don't want to have it all together. Sometimes I'm not okay. Sometimes I can't figure it out. But the more I give it to you, the more you show me that you knew everything, that you can see clearly, that you exist outside of time. You, you've seen my whole life play out, so Lord, help me to follow you. 
This should be our prayer. Because whatever shame you came in here carrying, maybe it's a result of your own deception into thinking that you're self-sufficient, that you don't need God. And God is saying, this is your opportunity to come to me. This is your opportunity. Would you admit that you're weak so I can show you I'm strong? Again, he's only asking us to confess what's already true. The problem is that we've been deceived. Sometimes you may hear people who who aren't Christians say, you know, I don't believe in God because I think that's just for people who, who think they need some extra help. For people who have convinced themselves that they that they're weak. I got news for you. For one, yeah, you're right. It is for those of us who know. But knowing is is living in truth. It's not deception. That's truth. You need him. How long is it going to take you to be convinced that you need him? Let's stand. Jesus ends this passage by showing Peter that the suffering he's going to endure. But notice it says the suffering, the death you're going to die is going to be to bring me glory. So in other words, Jesus is saying, guess what? I can use all of you. The good you, the bad you, the okay you. Bring them all to me. The parts of you that think you've got it together, bring that to me too. The parts of you that know you don't have it, bring that to me too. And the more you give to me, the more you'll see that the pain you've endured, the suffering that you're going through is only a glimpse of the suffering I've gone through for you. So if there's anybody in this room, my request is simple. If you need to embrace God's grace, if you need to let go of some brokenness, come down to this altar. We'll pray with you. there's some sin that you've been holding on to, come down. You don't have to be strong. Let's go. Praise God. Anybody else?
revealing to Kia her brokenness. Because it's in her brokenness, it's in our brokenness, Lord, that you show us, you meet us there every time. You show us that ultimately we just need you and more of you and more of you and more of you. So, Lord, I pray for Kia, Lord, I ask that you use today as a start of a new journey for her, a closer journey with you. Help her to see, Lord, that this is not a one-time decision. And Lord, we, we, we have to remind ourselves of our brokenness every day so that we can see that you're whole, that you're the healer. Would you help Kia for the rest of her days to follow after you, to see herself clearly and see you clearly? It's all in light of who you are. So Lord, we ask that you raise her up in faith, that you allow us as a church to come alongside her, that we can show each other our wounds and come together and remember the one who's the healer, the one who's made us all whole, the one who puts us back together. Would you do that for her, not just today, for all the days of her life? Anybody else in the room, Lord, who hasn't come forth but, 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 but knows they're broken, knows they've been trying to be strong, would you break their hearts for you? Would you break them down so they can see their need for you and allow them to run back to your grace? Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to get your information, okay? I love that hopefully we're starting to see that the altar is not just a place for you to, to come be saved. It's a place for you to run back to God. Let these steps be an image of repentance. Let these steps be the place where we look and say, that's where God's grace met me. In my brokenness, I collided with his grace. I pray for all of us in this room that as we're confronted with our shame, that one day we're able to look back and say, the day you met me in my shame is the day you actually met me with your grace. My challenge to you is this. Be honest about your weaknesses. Be open about where you fall short. And as you do that, ask God to fill those voids. Confess that you've tried to fill them in other ways. Whatever vices you have, whatever temptations you run to. Confess that throughout the week. My challenge is just to run back to him. Allow his grace to wash over you. That's my prayer for you, and that's my challenge to you. Love y'all.
Jesus' name.